Father, thank you for this day of rest and worship, this place that we can gather freely. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to make good use of the time that you have given to us so that we may know you and love you better. In Christ's name, amen. We are coming up to the end of our study of the Westminster Confession. And we'll start right over again next week. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So we're coming this morning to chapter 32. And I think it's very providential. Uh, I did not plan it this way. (laughs) Those of you who know me know I rarely plan anything. Uh, But the topic today fits very well with our sermon passage. Uh, And that is death uh, and the state of men after death. So to get us in the right focus, could someone read for me? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28. Hebrews 9, 24 to 28. Correct. So the word once appears three times in that passage. Did you hear that? Christ appeared once. Man dies once. Christ will appear a second time. I forgot what the other once was. Both of them are related to Christ. Uh, He offered himself once. Yes, he offered himself once, and man will die once. Now, there is a very simple reality that goes throughout all the scriptures. It begins in Genesis with the genealogies. The seed of the woman always has this trajectory beyond the grave. The book of Genesis closes with Joseph's bones being taken back uh, from Egypt. To Israel, there's always a forward looking beyond the grave, whereas the seed of the serpent, the seed of uh, the man, is always terminated at the grave. Uh, You never see anything about them having a, a future hope. And obviously we've we've gotten this messed up in in Christianity, generally speaking. The Roman Catholicism, a Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory, 
this place where you're purified uh, from your sins that you died with in life before you can be allowed to enter into paradise. The Jehovah's Witness uh, doctrine of annihilation or others who, I forget who it is, who teaches soul sleep. Uh, but all of these, all of these teachings are extra biblical. The scripture says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Now, the way that this connects, and I hope is, is relevant for us, is in having a clear understanding of where we are ending up, what our trajectory is, in having a clear understanding of what our trajectory is, it provides us with a bullseye to aim at in life. Uh, what do you want written on your tombstone? What do you want written on your marker? What do you want your life to be summarized in just a few words? I think of Mark Rogers' tombstone. Uh, on the front of it, it says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And when Beth dies, she's going to be buried uh, with him. And on the back, it will read, and at the last day, I will see him myself. Uh, that, that quotation from Job. What is it that we want written on our tombstone? The just shall live by faith. And it's already written on there. <laughs> and so, well, so there's a good example. <clears throat> so if the just shall live by faith, does that say anything to the just about what they do on Sunday, January the 15th, 2023. They're to live by faith. What are they supposed to do on January 16th, 2023? <laughs> live by faith. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that it's helpful for us. I think our society uh, tends to uh, avoid conversations about death, uh, as a pastor, I always try to be very uh, uh, careful in, in talking to people that are coming to the end of their race and get a sense of, do they want to talk about this? Do they? I mean, the, this is a reality that they're about to face. Uh, are, are we ready for this moment? And it's shocking to me. It's always shocking to me how many people know that the end is coming. They know. They've got the terminal illness. They've got the... They know what's coming up, and they do not want to talk about it. Uh, they are they're terrified, they're angry, they're whatever, and, and they do not want to talk about this. And so I think it's better if we have a, a, a realistic understanding and understand what Scripture teaches so that we can live accordingly. So our confession says that the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. 
Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. So, pretty clearly saying we're not Roman Catholic. No purgatory. Uh, There are... There are two things, two trajectories that happen, and these trajectories are set in life. Uh, they are the course of our life. Uh, our life is either moving towards that paradise, reunion with God, completely free of all sin, knowing him, uh, seeing his face, or we're headed to eternal torment. Now, the interesting thing about this, and let's see if the confession, I had it in my notes. Yeah, let me, let me just jump ahead to section three real quick. The bodies of the unjust shall by the power of Christ be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just by his spirit unto honor and be made conformable to his own glorious body. So, the history of philosophy, I'm trying not to get too into the weeds here, (laughs) but but gets to the substance, uh, basically the debate between Plato and, and Aristotle is what is what is truly good is is this chair can this chair be truly a good proper chair or is the truly good something that is out there and we only have imperfect copies of what is truly good versus is this chair in and of itself a chair uh just in and of itself now that that seems esoteric, and, and I'm, I'm doing super-duper brief shorthand when I'm saying this. But here's the practical implication of it. Is there a reason for you in glory to God, out of, out of thanksgiving to God, is there a reason for you to engage the world around you materially? Is there a reason for you to plant beautiful flowers other than simply your own narcissism, that you happen to like the smell of the flowers? Is there a reason for you to beautify creation? Is there a reason for you to, to, uh, to do, pour yourself into the goodness of this creation and trying to make it beautiful and, and rich and, and improved? Or are you just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic? This whole place is going to burn for us to do anything uh, beautifying to the Titanic is a complete and utter waste of time. It's going down as soon as it hits the iceberg. And 100%, I agree. That is... Aristotelian. (laughs) Um, 
But but yes, and and so so here's part of the what what the confession is really centering on is that we are we are created, we are embodied, we are body souls. The the physical body is created by God. The physical body is is formed by God and also the soul. And so redemption is for both body and soul. Now ultimately we know that we will all die. And it's interesting uh the confession there in section 1 uses the phrase return to dust and see corruption. And that's obviously a reference to the fall. Uh, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Uh, from dust you were taken, and to dust you shall return. Uh, this is this is broken. This is wrong. Death is wrong. It's the result of sin. The decay of the body, the decay of the of the earth, is wrong. It should not be. It was not created in order to do this, but redemption, redemption is going to be both body and soul, including the eternal state. This is why Paul says, uh, do you not know that you're bought with a price? Uh, therefore, glorify God with your body. Uh, th- this, is, this is all part, because they were, they were dealing with some teaching back then that said, listen, you're, you're, you're redeemed, you're a soul, you're beautiful, God is beautiful, spirit, uh, God is spirit, and, and, you know, this is the beautiful and the true. It doesn't really matter what you do physically. Uh, so if you feel like engaging in temple prostitution, uh, that, that's, you know, that's what everybody here in this culture does, no big deal. And, of course, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, no, you can't do that. Don't you know that there's a spiritual connection? Uh, there's a spiritual dimension here when a man and a woman come together in that manner, uh, and you can't escape that. We are body souls. And so the promise is that our soul uh, will immediately be purified, will be made holy, will be conformed unto him, and we await that resurrection. Now, the one exception that we're given in the scripture of this universal trajectory is in section 2. At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities which shall be united again to their souls forever. So the confession is not saying that at the resurrection I'm going to look just like this. I have no idea. Uh, I, I just don't know. The scripture isn't very explicit. The one time we get close to it is when Paul says, uh, when you put a seed in the ground, when it comes up, does it look like the original seed? No, it doesn't. But is it? part of the seat. Yes, it is. <laughs> and so that's kind of as far as Paul goes with it. Uh, 
is saying there's going to be a change, there's going to be, you know, there, there will, it will be something different, it will be something perfect, it will be me, uh, but it, it's not going to be me as a 57-year-old overweight bald man. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> it can only go up from here. <laughs> uh, and and so none of this i think is very controversial certainly at least in this congregation uh i, I don't think i'm i'm giving any teaching that is new to anybody but what are what i want to emphasize in it is if we truly understand where the scripture says our trajectory is. Every single solitary one of us, if Christ Jesus does not come back first, every single solitary one of us is going to have a tombstone, is going to have some marker. Uh, or maybe you won't, but at least in someone's mind, there will be a summary of you, who you were. If we were going to sum it up in one brief phrase, what would be the phrase that I would want on my tombstone? And if I want that phrase on my tombstone, then that phrase is the bullseye of the target of my life. It is the bullseye of the target of your life. What kind of man do you want to be remembered as? What kind of woman do you want to be remembered as? What kind of boy? What kind of girl do you want to be remembered as? That is what the confession is honing us in on in this very sobering reality that you and I are going to die. And so the question is, what is it you want on your tombstone? That then becomes the bullseye, the trajectory uh, for your life. And it's a, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult thing to maintain, as we all know, all of us who... who uh, who struggle uh, with with sanctification, with holiness, with belief, uh, with with faithfulness, with integrity, all of those things. But this doctrine of the state of man after death becomes, in my mind, a very helpful doctrine <laughs> to help me stay focused. And, you know, I, I, I think in many ways, that, so, so the comment is, if we really believed, if we really understood all the promises of God, that should remove the fear of death. And I think, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think, I think people in their moment sometimes get weak and forget. Uh, but I have seen a profound difference between how Christians face death and how non-Christians face death. Uh, and interestingly, I've talked to people because of, you know, my work, what I do. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people in hospice, hospice nurses. Um, and I've heard more than one hospice nurse tell me Christians die differently uh, than other people do. 
There, there's, a, there's a clear difference in the way that a Christian dies. The, the, the family is generally around, there's generally support, and there's generally a lot more peace. Uh, I, I saw that firsthand with uh, some dear saints that, that passed away this past year. Uh, where I, those, those of you who uh, know, knew uh, Bob McConaughey, it was so it was it was so cool. Uh, in his last hours, as he was un, you know not communicating with any of us, uh, he was sitting there and he was just muttering to himself, and he was Bob. He was talking about, I need this part for this truck, and you know that it's not come in yet, and they need to order it down. It was Bob. <laughs> it was everything Bob always was. Bob was always fixing stuff. He was always doing stuff. And in his last hours, when he was sunk completely into his own head, and and in another place where I was not able to touch him anymore, from that other place, he was Bob. <laughs> he was fixing a truck, or he was. You know, fixing something around the house. And, and it was just a continuation of who he was. In the same way with Mark, frankly. Uh, same way with Mark. Uh, all the way to the very end, it was just a continuation of who Mark was. Uh, it was, it was really sweet, uh, to see this, this dear saint painful, painful death. Very, very difficult death. But he was Mark. Uh, he was Mark all the way through. And, uh, I think that's, you know, I, one of my favorite illustrations is uh, when, when Christian and Hopeful uh, are going through the Jordan River and uh, Christian loses his footing. <clears throat> and he, he says, I, I can't see the city. I'm scared. The water, I can't feel the bottom of the river. The water is cold. And, and Hopeful comes along and encourages him even in that hour of death. And says, look, do you see, you don't have to see the city. Do you just at least see the light? Do you see that light? Yes, I think I can see the light. Okay, fix your eyes on that light. And he says, ah, I feel the ground under my feet again. Uh, and, and, you know, so we do, we, it, it is a, uh, a very difficult, difficult experience for all of us, but we go through it held by, by our Savior. Amen. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, if you read the next verse, it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, yeah, that is a great comfort, uh, is to know that we're going to be, I'm not going to be the failure of a human being that I think I am, or that I know I am, uh, far, far too often. Uh, I will be like him, and he is beautiful. Thank you. 
That's beautiful. She can forget everything else, but she did not forget Jesus. Well, I uh, just real quick, and then I'll stop. Uh, years ago, I had surgery. Uh, I had three collapsed discs in my neck, and uh, they had to redo it all. And I was so terrified that I was going to wake up cussing. I knew I was going to be in pain, and I was just like, oh, they know I'm a pastor. Please don't let me wake up with a stream of profanity coming out of my mouth. And I was so relieved when I woke up, and I heard my own voice, and I was just going, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. I was like, Shh, okay, good. <laughs> I'm okay with saying, oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's close there, and uh, we'll go to our time of fellowship. Father, we do thank you for this great promise, even as briefly as we've looked at it. Uh, but it is a sobering reality that each one of us will stand before you. We'll stand before you clothed in our rags, or we'll stand before you clothed in Christ's righteousness. And Father, we would plead with you to help us live today in that light. In Christ's name, amen.